week, we were talking about specifically when we ended, we were talking about, uh, and we're kind of we're in a series on on just thinking like God thinks concerning prosperity. And um, uh, last week when we ended, we were talking about things that cause people to be in poverty. We first started out talking about you know uh, prosperity, but we kind of looked at it at a different angle and said, okay, let's see what causes poverty instead of and, and find out for sure. And one thing we came to the conclusion of through all the scriptures we looked at is that God's not the cause of poverty. That the things people do in their lives is what causes poverty. And we, uh, I got down to the final two scriptures and uh, didn't have time to go through them. Assigned them to you for homework. How many of you looked those up when they got home? Well, a couple of you didn't. Some of you didn't think of that. But uh, Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen. I, I guess that's why the Lord said you better go back and cover that tonight. Because uh, so we're going to look at just the final two scriptures and and just finish covering that of what causes poverty. And uh, if you didn't weren't here last week and didn't get the first part of the teaching, then buy last week's tape in the bookstore, and it'll be a good investment for you. Proverbs 20. In fact, I think you'll just want this whole series to just have. Amen. Some things are just good to have and to keep and to listen to over and over again. And, you know, like we talk, some tapes, you listen to them once and you think that was good, but i got to go on to the next thing, so I'm giving that into Ireland. <laughs> and, uh, and then some things you just would never part with. I have tapes that you couldn't, I wouldn't give them to Ireland. I mean, it's like these are my, these are mine. And I'm not letting them go for nobody. I mean, I got tapes I wouldn't lend to nobody, you know. I got books that I wouldn't let anybody have. Now, I'll buy you one just like it, but I'm not letting you have my tape or my book, you know. But then there's some, it's like, okay, I listened to it, that was good, but it's not a repeater, you know. Okay, and, that, and that's fine too. Proverbs 28:19 says... Uh, he that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. And so we hear, we see here that people that till their land have plenty. In other words, we could translate that and say those that work diligently have plenty, don't they? You know, I want to just, I had to cover this one because I really want to point out to you that faith will not overcome a lack of diligence or a lack of, or laziness. You can't use your faith and overcome a lack of diligence, can you? I mean, we, 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 we are to be diligent. And so we, we talked about last week, we can't just lay on the couch and say, well, I am believing God to prosper me, and you know, and that work for us. It won't work for us. I tell you something else faith will not overcome. Faith will not overcome you not taking the opportunities that God presents to you. We need to become aware of opportunities. The Bible says that when you tithe, that the windows of heaven open, and he pours forth a blessing that you're not, not that there's not room enough to receive it. We know from experience that God, the most diligent, I mean, excuse me, the most faith-filled person in all the earth, Brother Hagen, does not have so much money that he cannot have room enough to receive it. And he's the faith man of our generation. So it can't be talking about money there. It's not. If you go back in the Hebrew, what, when, when you tithe, when the, windows of op, when the windows of heaven open, what God puts through those windows, that word blessing, He puts opportunities. So many that you can't do them all. That you do not have room enough to receive it. So many opportunities. The body of Christ has been sitting at home, believing God to prosper them through... Reader's Digest sweepstakes in clearing, Publisher's Clearinghouse and believing God's going to prosper them that way. I tell you what, you got the same chance everybody else has, one in two zillion or whatever it is. <laughs> so it doesn't hurt to enter if you want to because you do have a one in two zillion chance just like everybody else. But you will not be able to use your faith and have a greater chance in the lottery or in Reader's Digest sweepstakes than any other person on the face of the earth. But if you tithe, God will present to you opportunities more than you will be able to take him up on. In other words, ideas will pop in your mind. But all of them will take work. And the body of Christ passes those up as for the most part. Ideas for to write books, ideas to write songs, ideas... Ideas to write songs, ideas to write songs, ideas. You know, that man, he had, he had to produce this thing. He, had, he is just a little associate pastor in Mark Hankins' church in Alexandria, Louisiana. 
And that I mean, he is not anybody special, but he had to, he had to, he had to follow through on that God-given idea. That man, that man that invented the baby changer, he is a, an associate pastor in whose church? Mac Hammond. He's an associate pastor in Mac Hammond's church. That little thing, when you go in the ladies' restroom or some other time, and that little thing that lets down on the wall, he invented it. God gave him the idea. But I tell you, we went to a seminar where he taught, and he, he, it was hard work. He burned the midnight oil. He worked hard. And he is a millionaire now because of that little baby changing table. God gave him the idea, but it was work. The body of Christ passes those up for the most part, believing that something's just going to fall from the sky. And God, this is, and, and, and we're missing our opportunities to be wealthy. We are missing our opportunities to be wealthy because we're just sitting at home. And, and I mean, we're going to eight to five jobs. Listen, I got to tell you this. If you're believing you're going to prosper, and you are, you're going to have to find where the opportunities are because if you work at Walmart, they're not just going to come in one day and say, I don't think we'll pay $7 an hour anymore. I think we'll start paying you $100 an hour family that is not going to happen so if you work at one of those places just keep going to work and being diligent but believe in God for opportunities amen and so God and, and God has zillions of ideas the man that invented silly putty is uh, he is a zillionaire um, he's got a lot of money I don't know how much money he has zillion means I don't know it's a bunch amen it's a bunch, and he invented silly putty. Etch a sketch. Somebody that, that's been around since I was a kid. Yeah, barcode. Somebody invented that. Somebody thought of it. You know. And there are so many opportunities, so many opportunities. But we just have to latch on to those those ideas. Amen. And you know, you need to be aware of get rich quick schemes because it here right here. Diligence, 19. Whoso, let's see, he that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. And Jeffrey can tell you this, in the, you know, there's, there's like Mary Kay and things like that. I'm telling you, the people that are rich at Mary Kay work their rear ends off. The people that drive them little pink Cadillacs, they work their buns off. I mean, but when, sometimes they kind of present that to you like, this is going to be easy. And they do have a plan, and it does work. But you got to work it. This is not just staying home and, you know, people will call you and there are, there, you know, hallelujah, praise God. Well, I didn't mean to get off there. I'm supposed to go somewhere else tonight. So um, uh, anywhere, I want to talk about the last part of this verse, though. It says, what type of person has poverty? He told us there. He that follows vain persons. Now, if you look up that word vain in the Hebrew, it means empty persons. If you hang out with empty people, guess what you're going to get? Poverty. Some people have the wrong friends. They're hanging out with people that are empty. Amen? Well, you, that explains that. Now, let's go to Proverbs. We'll cover to the last one, Proverbs 28, 27. And we can go to what we're going to preach on tonight. This is last week's sermon that didn't get finished. Proverbs 28, 27. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Listen, we cannot give all of our money to the poor. That's a big mistake. But on the other hand, we cannot turn our back on the poor and not, not notice them and pretend they don't exist. We are to help people when we see need. Amen? We're not to put our tithe there. We're not to put our seed there. When you, when you, when you sow into the poor, what are you going to reap? Poverty, probably. Well, you're not going to... The Bible says when you give to the poor that God, you lend to the Lord and God repays. So if you give the poor a dollar, you lend to God a dollar and He repays. Well, even if He pays back with interest. But I want, when I sow my seed, I want more than... A little interest. If he pays back at the current rate of interest, a dollar, you know, you see what I mean? But when we sow seed, we need to sow, the Bible says, into good ground. Is the poor good ground? No. Should, but we can't turn our back on them. That's right. So there's a balance here. We cannot turn our back on them, 
But on the other hand, some people want to give all their money to the poor because they, they're, you know, some people have a real mercy motivation and the poor just turn their hearts. I know we had a, a thing in our church in Seminole where we were taking food. We had a pantry and we were taking food to some families in town that were poor. And uh, we had this one lady. I mean, she was so merciful that we needed to take her out of the ministry because her husband was getting mad at her because when he came home, they wouldn't have a chair and they wouldn't have a chest and they wouldn't have a bed. And they, I mean, there was th they didn't have that. And, you know, that'd be fine if she had the money to replace it. But she was putting a strain on her family and putting a strain on her husband because they didn't have the money to go replace it. But her compassion was pulling her where God wasn't pulling her. And then you and, and, and if you find yourself feeling guilty for prospering when you see poor people, you're something's wrong. Something's wrong. Listen, you cannot bring them up by going down. You cannot bring them up by going down. And you can, what you need to do is pull them up to your level, not go down to theirs. You got to pull them up, okay? So we covered that. So it's God's will for us to prosper, and God is not the cause of poverty and lack. We went through a bunch of scriptures and found a lot of things that cause people to be in poverty or cause us to be in, in lack. And so if you're in any degree of poverty, if you have difficulty paying your bills or if you're any degree of poverty, we need to judge ourselves and say, okay, what are we doing here? You know, we may be doing something that we're not supposed to be doing here. Hallelujah. Now we'll start tonight's sermon. <laughs> okay, so we can see that as we studied last week that God is not a God of just getting by. He called himself in Genesis 17:1. He said, I am almighty God. If you go back to the Hebrew, what that translates is El Shaddai. He called himself El Shaddai. He, that means, if you find the meaning, it means the God who is more than enough. Sometimes we act like that God said, I am the God of just enough. We need to, cons he said, I am the God of more than enough. So whatever your enough is, if $2,000 a month is enough, then he's God of more than that. Right. Amen. If $1,000 a month is enough, then he's the God of more than that. He's not the God that just barely squeaks you by every month, that barely squeaks you under the fence. He's the God of more than enough. Well, you say, Debbie, why haven't I had it? It's our thinking. Our thinking. Our thinking, which then affects our saying. And we have what we say. Hebrew, I mean, excuse me, Mark eleven twenty three says, you'll have whatsoever you say. You have what you say. So if you're saying wrong things, you have to change what you say. And you, to change what you say, you need to change what you think. Or in other words, renew your mind so that you think like a different person. You know, and this tape will help you, this, this music tape will help you renew your mind. It's got songs like on there like, My house is paid for. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. And then we're going to see how, why God wants those things for your life. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So, you know, some people, you would have thought he said, I'm El Cheapo instead of El Shaddai. God's not El Cheapo. We're going to see that tonight. Some of the words that God uses to describe um, what he wants us to have are abundant, abundance, and abundantly. That's three words. And these all imply overflowing, excess, and more than enough. Now I want us to look at those tonight, and we're going to look at some scriptures. We're really going to look at a lot of scriptures tonight. Uh, the word abundantly in the Hebrew, there's three words in Hebrew that are translated abundantly, that the translators translated those words abundantly. One of them is sharats, and it means to swarm or to abound. And another Hebrew word is robe, and it means great number, huge, be increased, more, much, multitude, or plenty. So we can see these are all talking about more than enough and big and abundance. And then rabah is another Hebrew word. It means to increase in whatever respect, to enlarge, to excel, to heap, plenty, and multiply. The Greek word for abundance is perisos, and it means, listen to this, this is New Testament, Greek is New Testament, Hebrews old. 
Greek is parisos. It means superabundant in quantity or superior in quality, excessive and beyond measure. So, man, boy, those are good words. Excessive, beyond measure. That's how God wants to be with you. He wants to be excessive with you. He wants you to. He wants to be beyond measure with you. He wants to be. He wants to abound towards you. He wants to increase you. And we're going to look at those scriptures tonight. Turn with me to Genesis chapter one. We'll begin there. And now, now what we're looking at right now. So just get you on the same page with me is we are looking at scriptures that use the word abundant or abundantly or or abundance. So Genesis 1, verse 20, and there's quite a few places where God talks this way. God thinks in terms of abundance. God thinks in terms of excess. Now, he said in his word that his thoughts were higher than our thoughts, and we can see that that certainly is so. But he doesn't want it to be that way. Just because it is does not mean that's how he wants it to be. He does think bigger and better than we do. But he wants you to change the way you think. He wants you to think like him. He says, I want to give you the mind of Christ. I've provided, I died so you could have the mind of Christ. And so he wants you to have the mind of Christ and he wants you to think like he does. So he wants you thinking in terms of excess, abundance. Now you don't get there in one day. I know, and, and just to encourage you, if this is stretching you and pulling on you and you're going, oh, I think abundantly for an hour and then all of a sudden I, I fall apart and start talking lack again. Listen, I heard Keith Moore say he was raised in Mississippi in poverty. Keith Moore's a, a, Rhema, a Rhema instructor at Rhema Bible Training Center. And his, he just has his new jet and, I mean, he's prospering. But he said it took him 10 years to get, I mean, of just constantly renewing his mind to get the poverty out of him. Now, I want to tell you something to encourage you that, but I want to also tell you it's not supposed to take you that long because some of these guys had to pioneer this thing. They had to dig out things that now are readily available on cassette tape or are being taught all over the body of Christ. You can turn the TV on any day nearly and hear somebody teaching on prosperity and abundance. And so it shouldn't take us 10 years. But on the other hand, I don't want you to be discouraged if you fight yourself sometimes. Amen? And think, well, what is wrong with me? I must be something wrong here. I just can't get a hold of this. Yes, you can. You just keep, you just keep on pulling yourself back and saying, no, God is a God of excess. He's a God of abundance. He's a God of more than enough. Amen? Okay, so we're in Genesis chapter 1, verse 20. And we're looking for abundance and abundant and abundantly. Um, let me get on the right page. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. He likes that abundant stuff. You know, it's good. And... um. Then go over to chapter 8, verse 17 of Genesis. We're still in Genesis. Bring forth, bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. So we see he's still talking abundance and abundantly, even after the flood. Of course, you can recognize that that's, after the, or that's, that's fixing to be right before the flood. Verse 9, chapter 9, verse 7. And you, he's talking to the people now, and you be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. Listen, family, you need to get a hold of this. God's not just talking about having kids there. Amen. <laughs> he's not just talking about having kids. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Can you all turn quickly tonight? If you would, just turn and then write your scripture down. You'll get there faster. 2 Samuel chapter 20. I mean chapter 12. And we're going to look at verse 30. Okay, it says, 
And he took their king's crown from off his head, the weight whereof was a talent of gold with the precious stones, and it was set on David's head, and he brought forth the spoil of the city in great abundance. And so we hear David, he's gone out to war, he's gotten the spoil, and there's great abundance. Amen? Turn to First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 3. First Chronicles 22, verse 3. I tell you, I love teaching this because it's renewing my mind even more, just teaching it. I mean, I, you get it stirred back up in you. First Chronicles 22, 3, And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails for the doors of the gates. Now, it's talking about David preparing to, for the, uh, the stuff to build the temple with. And, da- the, and David prepared iron in abundance for the nails for the doors of the gates and for the joinings and brass in abundance without weight. And also cedar trees in abundance for the Zidonians, and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. Now I drop down to verse 14, same chapter. Now behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand talents of gold and a thousand thousand talents of silver and of brass and of iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. Moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work. So he talks about abundance a lot. Turn to chapter 29 of this same book. Chapter 29 and verse 2. Just over a few pages. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God the gold for things to be made of gold and the silver for things of silver and the brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron and wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones and divers colors and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. I want you to notice here that David was not on a tight budget. Amen. Praise God. Now go to Second Chronicles. Told you we was going to look at lots of scriptures. Chapter 1, just over a page or two. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. I love this part. This is a good one. We're going to read several verses here. But boy, this is good. Just let this soak into you. Just let this permeate you. In the name of Jesus, just let it go in. Don't let that old, don't let anything you think of lack cause this to just bounce back out of you. But just take it in and just let it simmer inside of you. Verse 7. In, the, in that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established, for thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this, thy people, that is so great? And God said to Solomon, Because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet hast asked long life, but hast asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayst judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches and wealth, and honor such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have the like. Then Solomon came from his journey to the high place that was at Gibeon, to Jerusalem, from before the tabernacle of the congregation, and reigned over Israel. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, and he had a thousand and four hundred chariots and twelve thousand horsemen, which he placed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. And the king made silver and gold at Jerusalem as plenteous as stone. And cedar trees made he as sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. So we see David have, I mean Solomon having tremendous abundance. It says 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, and silver and gold were as plenteous as stones. Or in other words, it was silver and gold was just like was it, rocks where they were as common as just rocks, just old common rocks. Amen. So that is abundance. This is how God thinks. This is how God thinks. It, uh, it, it says specifically that God did this for Solomon. This wasn't just chance. You know, this wasn't, he didn't win the lottery of his day. God did this for him. Amen? First Kings chapter 10. Go back. We're going, we're going to go back now. First Kings chapter 10 and verse 1. Listen, you know, sometimes you say, well, it's reading a lot of scripture, but it, 
what God says is so much more powerful than anything that I could say to you. So, you know, what, it's important what God says. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. She fainted. Now, it takes a pretty big house to make a woman. It takes a pretty impressive house to make a woman faint. Okay. And verse 6, And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. See, he, she's saying right here, I can see you have wisdom by all this prosperity. I can tell you have wisdom by all this prosperity. Prosperity is a sign to the earth that we have wisdom. It's a sign that we're tapped into something. When you start really prospering, they're going to, you know, the first thing they're going to think is you're dealing or you're a bookie. But then they're going to wonder, you know, what's the deal here? What is going on here? Because I know these people. I know, I know, you know, this town, a lot of people in this town knows Rerun. A lot of people know him. And we kind of get their attention if he all of a sudden moves way up in the world. Well, how are you doing that? Mm hmm Amen. Well, we're going to. Okay, where was I at? What verse? Get to talking in... Seven? Okay, she said it was true in verse six. Verse seven. How speed, I believe not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. And look at this. Happy are thy men... Happy these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. I tell you what, it makes people happy. It's going to make, it's going to, you know, they say, well, money can't make you happy. Well, it won't make you unhappy. It can't make you happy all by itself. But that uh, tapped on to, to what you know in God and to godliness. I tell you what, people, it gets you. You'll be happy, amen. You, you, you'll have, you'll make a lot of other people happy. Okay, he says they were happy. Verse nine: Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold. Now take note of that, and of spices very great store. And precious stones, there came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir great plenty of almond trees and precious stones. And the king made of the almond trees pillars for the house of the Lord, and for the king's house harps also and psalteries for singers. There came no such almond trees, nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was six hundred three score and six talents of gold. Besides that, he had of the merchantmen of the traffic of the spice merchants and of all the kings of Arabia and of the governors of the country. And I think that's as far as we're supposed to read. Yeah, uh, no? Keep going. And King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold, or in verse 16, 600 shekels of gold went to one target, and he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pounds of gold went to one shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round behind, and there were stays on either side on the place of the seat, and two lines stood beside the stays. And 12 lines stood there on the one side, and on the 
other upon the six steps. There was not the like made in any kingdom. And all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. It was nothing accounted in the days of Solomon. Silver was of no account, is what that says. Silver was of no account, pretty practically worthless in the day of Solomon because there was so much gold. For the king had set, had a, listen to this, this is his swimming pool. For the king had a sea at Navy, no, of Tarshish with the Navy of Haran. I was just kidding. Once in three years came the Navy of Tarshish bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. So they came to him to, to hear of his wisdom because of all the prosperity that he had. Now, just to give you an idea of what Queen of Sheba brought him, a talent of gold, uh, Thompson's Chain Reference Bible and Dake's Annotated Reference says that a talent of gold is $29,085 in today's money. But other, uh, so that's the conservative side. Other references, when you figure out by troy pounds and troy ounces and so forth, how much a talent was, uh, could be as much as uh, $525,000 per talent. So Queen of Sheba's gift of gold, not all counting all the other stuff she brought him, but the Queen of Sheba's gift to him was conservative valued at $3,500,000. That's the conservative estimate of her gift. The, the, the liberal estimate is it was up as much as $63 million worth of gold that she brought to him as a gift. She was abundant giver. You know, they say, now legend, the word doesn't say, but legend says that if she married him or he married her, I don't know which way it was. <laughs> but anyway, that's what they say. So, you know, if you ever wonder if God wants you to have abundance, you need to just remember King Solomon. Because God demonstrated what his definition of riches and what, he, what, what his definition of wealth were by the way that he blessed Solomon. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, beginning at 25 and reading down through verse 34, and you know this scripture very uh, well, it talks about God put, Jesus puts his approval on Solomon's wealth, and he begins to tell us to get our priorities in order, and he tells us about the lilies of the field, that not one of them were, are, not one of, they do not toil or spin, and they are, that, that Solomon's glory, he talks about Solomon's glory not being able to compare with, with how God cares for the lilies of the field. And so Solomon, he, he, he puts his approval on that glory or that wealth of Solomon. If he hadn't, he wouldn't have referred to it. And then he tells us, he goes on down through that passage in the very last verse, he said, he said, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that the Gentiles seek after, those things will be added unto you. The body of Christ needs to seek first the kingdom of God. Amen? And so if we says we seek first the kingdom of God with a renewed mind, aware that God's going to send opportunities and that we need to be aware of them and we need, to, we need to grab hold of the opportunities, then we will prosper exceedingly. Amen? God is not a respecter of persons. And if he will take a little associate pastor working in a church and he will give him a witty idea that makes him, you know, a, over a millionaire, you know, I don't know how much now, then he will do that for you. But you'll have to have that, and, and you'll have to seek first the kingdom of God and you will have to persevere with your witty idea. This guy, I forget his name now, but, you know, he went a lot of places and got turned down before he found one McDonald's store that would put one of those things in. But he got turned down a lot of places first. And that, you know, no people not interested in his idea. And finally, he found a, a, a new McDonald's that they were building somewhere up in the north there. They're from Minneapolis. And, uh, he found a new McDonald's, and one McDonald's put that little baby changer table in. And how many of you know you can't hardly go anywhere and not see one? And now there's different brands. But I guess that he has that copywriter patented, so I guess that even those different brands have to pay him. He gets a royalty or whatever you call it off of that. 
Okay, so let's keep going. Now the word increase. Another word that God uses a lot is the word increase. And the Hebrew word for increase is yasaf, and it means to add to, to increase, and to do again, to continue, to exceed, to get more. So there's no doubt when God says increase, he's not talking about decrease, is he? I mean, but from the definition, we know he can't be referring to the decrease. He's talking about getting more, exceeding, continuing. And then we have another Greek, Hebrew word, tebua, which means income, produce gain, and revenue. And then we have the Hebrew word rabah, abundance, full of, enlarge, heap, multiply, and plenty. Now let's look at these words for how they're used in Psalm 115 is the first place we'll look. Psalm 115, verse 14. God wants to prosper us. Now, we're just getting an idea of what God talks about, what He's talking about when He says abundance and plenty and increase. And then next week, we're going to talk about misunderstandings about prosperity. And the week after that, we're going to talk about motives, our motives for prospering. Because it's important that we have our motives right. And uh, you do, but we'll just talk about motives. Amen? Praise God. Um, Psalm 115, verse 14. It says, the Lord shall, he, the Lord, well, let's start up in verse 12. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He's got you on his mind. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. Well, we're not that except by adoption, are we? He will bless them that fear the Lord. Now that's getting closer to home, both small and great. So there's no age or, or anything in that. He says, the Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. If you fear the Lord, the Lord will increase you more and more, you and your children. So we're, there's not any de decrease in this word. There's not any decrease for the, pe for the people in the body of Christ. If you fear the Lord, you increase more and more. And that doesn't stop at 65 when you retire. Unless you believe that and then you begin to speak it. There's no way to stop. You, you don't have to stop increasing more and more. You may change what you do. You may now, after you retire from the post office at 65, you may have time for even more of those uh, uh, opportunities, those witty ideas. You may have time to follow through on them and prosper anymore. But you should not settle for, well, we'll just live on Social Security. That's a sin for tithers who have tithed all their life to only have Social Security to live on. They're just not believing the Word of God. They have settled for, they've believed what the world system says. The world system says that you have 65 productive years, or not that many, I mean from the time you start work till age 65, you have productive years, and at age 65, when you retire, if your company makes you retire, then you are no longer productive, and it's not true. And you know, here's another thing. The world would tell you now, now you know, here you are, you, you've got children, you've got babies. You're, you can't, listen, you can prosper no matter where you're at, no matter what age you are at. And we just, we need to start asking God, God, you know, I'm obviously not seeing these opportunities. Now, I'm just asking, you're going to have to help me, Lord, to see these opportunities. I hadn't even been aware that you wanted me to see them. But some of you have witty ideas from the Lord and like to write things, to write books. To You know, uh, Beth Jones, who is a pastor's wife in uh, somewhere. She's somewhere. <laughs> Kalamazoo, Michigan. Okay. You didn't know there was really people there, did you? <laughs> you thought that was just one of those fictitious places. No, it's really a town. And... Uh, uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, a pastor's wife, got this idea to write these books. And we have them in our bookstore. Uh, uh, what is like the one? Getting a grip on the basics of uh, getting a grip on the basics of Christianity, and it's just like foundational teachings. You go through and fill in the blanks. Getting a grip on the basics of prosperity. Getting a grip on the basics of health. She wrote those three books. Harrison House picked them up, and now they're all over the nation. Amen? Praise God. 
following through on those witty ideas. But how many of you know she had, I think she has like four or five kids. And, a, and pastor's wives are busy. And anybody with four or five kids is busy, if they, no matter what they, you know. There is a mountain of laundry for four or five kids. I know there is just got to be a mountain. I mean, Colin was a mountain of laundry by himself. He really was. When he moved out, we, my, my laundry went to half when that kid moved out. Because he was just like, uh, I don't know. He was Mr. Clean. Oh, it was like change clothes a bunch. But there's just, you know, there's no doubt the woman had to work hard. She had to burn some midnight oil. She had to take opportunities. You know, there's no doubt she wasn't watching the soap operas and she wasn't watching the nighttime ones either. See, a lot of us say, well, we don't watch soap operas, but we watch the, we just don't watch the days of our life, all my children. We watch the ones that come on at night. Because those are the same thing, those continued, those continued soap operas that are just one adulterous situation after another. That's, that's, it's, just a glor- it's just a nighttime soap opera. Uh, well, though sometimes, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, you can't watch any TV, but, you know, how bad do you want to be a millionaire? That sounded like some sort of game show, didn't it? <laughs> hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So he increases us more and more. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Proverbs 3, verse 9. But I will tell you this. You say, well, Debbie, I don't know what to do. I, I don't really have an idea right now. I don't really see an opportunity. I'll tell you something that's always a good investment. You never waste time when you pray. Many, many years ago, I heard Mike Murdoch say that prayer time is never wasted. You may feel like, I I don't feel like I've got anywhere in prayer, but you are never wasting time when you pray. You are never wasting time when you pray. And you you are getting things done that you do not even know you're getting done. Amen? And the investment you make in prayer will pay off. It may not pay off in 30 minutes. It may not pay off tomorrow. But the investment you make in prayer, it will pay off. And God will even pay you to pray. I know uh, we had a friend in West Texas, and well, she was actually in New Mexico, right across the line from us. And she was a pastor's wife, and and she had two little, two or three little kids at home, and you know, couldn't work, and boy, they needed income, starting a new church. She needed to be having a job, but she had, she, you know, sometimes you have so many little kids that the job you could get wouldn't pay enough to pay the daycare. And you know, the Lord told her, if you'll pray, I'll pay you. And so she clocked in. Just like she'd be at work, she clocked in. And she went on the Lord's time clock. I bet you he pays more in Walmart, don't you? I don't know what God paid her, but that's many, many years ago. But she clocked in. She went to work for God, praying for him. Hallelujah. I tell you what. See, right there, right there is an opportunity. And some of you can take that. Some of you say, man, we need an extra income. But I've already got a job. I don't think I can take another one. Well, why don't you go to work for God? And get on His payroll. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you need to uproot this little thing. You've probably seen it. My, my grandmother, bless her little heart, she had this little thing on her refrigerator, little magnet thing, and it said, uh, uh, working for God or something don't pay much, but the, but the benefits are out of this world. And you know, she knew better, and I said, Granny, that is such a lie, get that off your refrigerator. Well, so-and-so gave it to me. You know how, you know how little grannies are. If somebody gave it to them, it's like they are not throwing it away, you know, especially somebody they love. I know that's not right, but see, if we need to, stuff like that gets down in us. That somehow God don't pay much. There are men that are called to preach and they know it and they won't surrender because they are brainwashed by that and they want to prosper. They have, they have a conflicting desire in their heart. They want to prosper and they are afraid if they surrender to the ministry that they won't prosper. Right. 
And there are parents that don't want their kids, they want their kids to prosper, and they don't want their sons, they don't want them to go into the ministry because they, they, they think that they'll have to be poor. See, we got those things planted down in us. Thank you, Jesus. It's not true. And you know, there's people that say things like this. says, well, you know, the prosperity message, it works in America, but it don't work in Africa. The Word works anywhere in this earth. The Word works. If you work the Word and you, ha- and you are in faith, you can prosper in Russia. You can prosper in South Africa. So you don't ever have to be afraid of surrendering your life to the mission field. You can prosper there. You can prosper there. And you know, this is bunk too. I don't even like this where it says, well, you know, prosperity's relative. It's different in some places. I'm sorry. Not in the, not, it might, that might have been true in 1940. But I, I, there is hardly, there is nowhere hardly on the face of the earth that a bicycle is prosperity anymore. That's not, I, that's, you know, and, there, and I mean, there is some relativity there. But listen, you can, you can have a car. You can believe, and in fact, you know, it's not, cars aren't even considered a luxury. Car's not a luxury anymore. You can't go to work without a car. Car is now coming under Philippians 4.19. In 1920 or 30, I don't even know when cars were invented. I mean, I'm not a history buff there. But whenever, it might have been a luxury. But it's not a luxury now. You've got to have one to get to work. It is a Philippians 4.19 item. If you need a car, Philippians 4.19 says, God is a liar if he does not supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He is, you know, he is a liar if he doesn't do that. If I believe him for it. And the only reason for, some, for somebody not to have a car that needs one, that needs one, is they just aren't believing or they're, belie- or they're believing wrong. They've been brainwashed by some, that God somehow is teaching them something or something from this. Hallelujah. Now, another word God uses, do you want me to stop, Pastor? Is it time to stop? I'll you do one more word and then we'll stop. Multiply, because I just have two scriptures on it. And that's the Hebrew word rabah. And, it's the, and, and this will be real easy. And sometimes this word is also translated as abundance and increase. But it's always a, a big word. Multiply, abundance, or increase. Now let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and read two verses there. Deuteronomy 7 verse 12. I knew I had too much for tonight. I knew I had more than I could get done. I always have more notes than I can get to. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12. I need about eight hours straight to just teach you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't mean tonight, but I... Deuteronomy 7, verse 12. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments, and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy fathers, and he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep in the land which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee. I like that. He will love thee and he will bless thee and he will multiply thee. Praise God. I tell you what. I think I'll just let him love me. I think I'll let him love me and bless me and multiply me. I mean, some people are fighting off God loving them. And, oh, don't prosper us. Well, you know, we're not thinking like that anymore. I mean, sometimes we don't think we're thinking like that. And next week we'll talk about some of the misunderstandings about prosperity. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm believing, and y'all believe with me, for every member of this church to get in here and hear this, because there is nobody in this church that doesn't need it. I'm believing God to increase us on Wednesday night, and they get in here. That they, oh, see, the Satan wants to keep them uh, not where they're supposed to be prospering financially. He wants to steal from them by just, he can steal from you by stealing the word first. 
And so y'all believe with me that they, that, that they just overcome and they just get into church on Wednesday night and hear the word about prosperity. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Because they don't know enough. They may think they do, but they don't know enough. We don't any of us know enough yet. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 9, verse 10. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both ministereth bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. I'm hallelujah. Do you have seed in the ground? Do you have you sown seed? He's going to multiply that seed. And I want to tell you something. Even the seed that you sowed all those years ago when you didn't have sense enough, your mind wasn't even renewed enough to believe God to multiply it, that seed is still in the ground. God's seed don't get, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, even like Pastor said, those seeds in King Tut's tomb were still good. Amen. And you don't have any near that old. Amen. And so you got seed in the ground. Hallelujah. God remembers. He keeps, you know, I was looking at our giving records because we have them. I told you this back to 1981 or two. I don't remember exactly. 81 or 82. And I have the total of what we gave every year all the way down. And, and I have that, you know, printed out on my computer and everything. Well, I tell you, because I, I like to believe for the, the return on that. Amen. And I was reading down through that and I was thinking about it and the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke up in my heart and he said, because I thought, boy, I kept, I kept these records. I was kind of proud of myself, you know. And he said, I keep better records than you do. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, you know what? Because I gave a bunch of stuff that's not even here because I gave cash sometimes. I handed people money. I gave things sometimes. Amen. And he keeps better record. You know, he's got a record of every... You forgot some of the seeds you sowed. Even if you have your income tax returns and you say, we gave this much, you know what? You forgot some of the things you gave. But he's got a perfect record. Amen. And he multiplies your seed sown. Family, it just takes one thing. Faith. That's all it takes. It's so easy. Just believe him to do it. Right now. That's all that's all it takes. That's all it takes. Yeah, and he may speak to you and make a few little corrections in your faith or in your talking or he may make a few little corrections in your life, but if you'll start believing him, he'll do that. Amen. Amen. And it'll be so simple, so easy. Well, I wanted to talk about substance and I wanted to talk about treasures. Oh, that was a good one, treasures, but I won't do it. I'm gonna close for tonight. Be faithful over the saints. And their time. Hallelujah. Now, I want us to do something. And we're going to find out how religious we are. Let's stand up. Because I know. Because I've been doing this. And I'm telling you. When I first started doing it, it was like, this feels like it's coming out sideways or something. You know, something's not, you know. And you just. We praise the Lord for everything in the world. Except this. I mean, well, thank you, Lord, you're the healer. Thank you, Lord, you're my deliverer. I praise you, God, you're my Savior. We just praise Him and praise Him and praise Him. And sometimes we might even say, oh, praise you, Lord, you're my prosper. But tonight what we're going to do is we're going to get more specific. These definitions. Oh, thank you, God, for you're the God of abundance, of excess. And as you praise Him, if you feel that coming out sideways, you'll know, you'll be going, this, this feels funny. I nearly even feel bad saying these words. And at the same time, I'm praising God. That's the degree of religion we have in us. And, you know, because I know, because I started walking through the house saying, oh, thank you, God, you're the God of abundance. You're the God of excess, of, of super abundance. And, I mean, that was like, at first, it's like, this, sound, this nearly feels like I'm being disrespectful or sacrilegious. But he's just as much that as he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. Amen. So let's, let's do that tonight. Let's lift our hands up. Oh, God, we thank you that you're God of extravagance.